The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautiful, dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost, from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murders, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Something happened last night I must tell you about. This is Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for listening today. Last night my telephone rang and I answered and it was a young couple, and they were in a bitter fight. They were newly married, and they were in a bitter fight. And I spoke to them about how to begin to deal with this, to come to a reality, to the truth, to recognize that the fight they were in was was not what it was really about that they had to dig much deeper than that. The fear of not being loved, the fear of judgment, the fear of being controlled. We spent an hour or so talking together. I was deeply upset by the bitterness of their fight. This is not the first time I've had to talk with them and counsel with them regarding their relationship. So after I'd spoken with them and prepared for bed, 
I was asleep early. And about 3, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, I was awakened. And the Lord said to me, pray for them. And he named them. And so I prayed for them. And I asked that the Lord would reveal to them the wickedness of their fighting. But the Lord would show them how putrid it was before his throne. And then I went back to sleep. Well, this morning, the call came. And the wife said to me, Pastor, something awful happened last night. I said, what happened? She said, last night we were awakened in the middle of the night, gagging. The odor was so bad, we thought we were going to vomit. We had to leave the house. I said, well, what was it? She said, I called 911, and I told them there was probably a gas leak in our house, and the fire truck came. I said, well, what happened? She said, they told us a skunk sprayed outside of our house. (laughs) I just roared with laughter. A skunk came and sprayed outside of their house. The smell permeated their house. So bad they thought they were going to gag. I said, do my laughter. Do you understand? I think God sent that that skunk last night because I prayed. She said, what do you mean? So I told her. And I said, you're fighting with your husband creates the same stench of that skunk in God's nostrils. And he was showing you how horrible it is for you to battle and fight with one another. It makes him almost want to vomit. (laughs) She got it. I talked with him later. He also got it. Their behavior was a stench in God's nostrils, and God has such a sense of humor, he sent them a skunk to show them how bad it smelled in his nostrils. You know, God cares what we do. God cares what we say. And sometimes what we do and say can just about make God vomit. You say, well, God wouldn't vomit. Oh, yes, he would. In the letter to the church at Laodicea, he says, you're not hot or cold. You make me sick. I want to vomit you out of my mouth. What we do matters. Now, I know the modern lying church teaches that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. And that's totally non-biblical, and it's a total lie. And I know the modern church teaches that justification means just the 
the removal of the guilt for the sin, but leaves the sin. And you continue to walk in your sin. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's simply not true. It's not biblical. Everywhere you turn in the scriptures, you see something else. But because many of you have believed that lie and you still are comfortable in that lie and you don't want to deal with your behavior, you continue to hold to your false teaching. And you continue to be a stench in God's nostrils and make him want to vomit you out of his mouth. Now, I just read to you in the opening the passage from Revelation 21. Now, it's of great interest to me that he begins to identify in chapter 21, this is the risen Christ. It cannot be misunderstood. He says to them, the cowardly, those who will not stand up and recognize their responsibility before God, but continue to hide behind false teachings, who will not come to terms with the stench they are in God's face, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Well, what happened? Did they die and their sin was not removed when they died? Well, of course not. If your sin has not been removed by the time you die, you will face Jesus and he will say this to your face. You must be made holy. You must be made righteous. If you are not, you cannot be saved. Come on, be logical with me. If you say, I'm saved, what are you saved from? Well, you're saved from your sin. In other words, the sin is removed from you. If you're drowning and I reach out my hand and grasp you and pull you up out of the water and you're standing on dry ground, I have saved you from drowning in that water. You're no longer struggling in the water. You're not on the bottom of the lake. I've pulled you out and you're standing now on solid ground. We must be standing on solid ground before God. And the solid ground we stand on is the rock, Jesus Christ. We are saved because Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil in your life. Now there's another passage in Revelation 22. Let me read this to you. This is the last chapter of the book, Revelation, the last book in the Bible. In verse 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life. And we find in Revelation that it says these clean clothes, these white clothes, are the righteous acts of the saints. 
righteous actions. Not unrighteous actions that are covered by Jesus. The blood of Jesus washes us and cleanses us and removes the sin from our lives. We're going to go into depth about how that happens this week. But I want you to read with me Revelation twenty-two fourteen. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs. Those And here are the dogs. Now, dogs in this culture were not household pets. Today, dogs are household pets, but also sins are household pets. Here's the description of the household pets that Jesus says will cause us to not be allowed to enter into the gates of heaven. Those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murders, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. These are the ones, the last words of this prophecy. He finishes up by saying, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. That water of life is only for those who have had their sins removed by the blood of Jesus and are now walking in righteousness before God. How much plainer could Jesus be? There is not even a hint of what is called declared righteousness or imputed righteousness. There is not even a hint of that in the book of Revelation. It is all imparted righteousness. It is not righteousness we gain through the law. It is righteousness that we gain by Jesus Christ imparting to us real righteousness, changing us into new creatures. I pray Jesus, if necessary, will send a skunk to you as he did to this young couple so that you can smell the aroma of a skunk and know in your heart that sin is the aroma of a skunk in the nostrils of God. Now, when we look at Revelation, the third chapter, there is a letter sent, as most theologians will agree, to the last church before the coming of Jesus. And it's the church at Laodicea. Now, in way of review, we've spoken about tepid or lukewarm, calling themselves Christians, going to church perhaps, perhaps even giving tithes and offerings, maybe even preaching. But no fire, no confrontation with sin. Everything is covered over. Everything is declared righteous. 
but there's no righteousness. It's worldliness. And Jesus says, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth because you make me sick. And then he says, you don't realize you're wretched. Again, coming from two words, the first half meaning weighed with weights. And you are found unworthy. The same thing Daniel said to Belteshazzar. You've been You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. That's the condition of this Christian church in the last age. Your entertainment and your worldly lifestyle, your theology that teaches you that you don't have to be righteous before God, that you can be a sinner and you're saved, and God will never kick you out of the family, and you go to church to have a good time, He's saying, you're wretched. You're weighed in the balance and you're found wanting. And then the second half of this is, you're pierced through with all kinds of troubles and you don't understand why all of this trouble has come upon you. And you're hopeless. You're miserable. You're wretched. But you don't recognize it. You've become comfortable in your painful situation You don't know the peace of God. You don't know the righteousness of Jesus in your own heart, in your own life. And then he says, you're pitiful. I pity you. You're a mess. And he says, you're poor. You don't have any money. You can't can't buy from the heavenly realm. It's it's like C.S. Lewis wrote in The Great Divorce as he describes these passengers who come from hell to visit heaven to see if they want to stay there. And they get out of the train, and they're almost weightless, and they walk on the grass, and it hurts their feet because the grass won't bend under their feet. They don't have enough weight to even bend the grass in heaven. They're lightweights. They go down to the water, and a a, a droplet of water hits them, and it's like being hit with a stone because they have no, no strength, no weight in the sunlight of heaven. And they all finally decide to go back to hell because they can't stand this place called heaven. They're like wreaths there. They, they have no substance. How would God weigh you today? Now, I don't care how your pastor weighs you. I don't care how your friends or your family weigh you. If God puts you on the scale today, does he find you wanting? Are you a lightweight? Are you pitiful and poor? Blind. Naked. I talked to a man this morning on the phone, and he was arguing his position with me. And I said to him, you've been blinded by your pride. You have no weight. I can't even debate with you the issue because you're so filled with yourself and your defense and your self-righteousness that I I can't get through to you. You're a lightweight. You see, 
Jesus' counsel comes to us, and it says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. Let's review quickly what it means to buy gold refined in the fire. Gold, as you go through the scripture, is often referred to as faith. There is a refining process that takes place, and we have to stand in faith. Well, why do we need faith to be made into gold? It's very simple if you think about it with me. The children of Israel were sent out of Egypt. They were delivered from bondage. And where did they go? They went out to the wilderness. They were only a few days' walk if they took the direct path to the promised land. But God didn't want to take them that way because he knew if he did, they'd face the Philistines and they'd be too weak to handle them and they'd turn around and flee back to their bondage in Egypt. So instead, he took them to the Red Sea He opened the sea. They crossed over in a miraculous opening of the Red Sea, and then God closed it behind them. And now they can't escape the desert. Well, what is the desert in Scripture? The desert is a place of testing. The desert is a place where we come to terms with who God is and who we are, and we have to stand by faith in his power. The children of Israel were finally left in that wilderness to die. Forty years they wandered and died. Why? Because they would not believe the word of God to them. They would not cut off their love of wickedness. They would not cut off the longing of their heart for the Baal God, for the flesh pots of Egypt. Their hearts were not given to God. And God finally said, I can't do any more for you. You won't go into the promised land. You're in full rebellion. You're constantly grumbling. You've tested and tried me over and over and over. I'm going to let you die out here. And I'll take your children in. But your children are going to have to suffer in this wilderness for 40 years because of your sin. When you are taken by the Lord into the desert, what does that mean today? Well, very simply, it means that he asks you to cut off every feeding point of Egypt in your life. He asks you to cut off those things that comfort your heart in this world that do not come from Jesus. Now, I'm not being legalistic. I'm being very realistic. He asks you to cut off those things of the world that comfort you in your sin. For some of you, that's pornography. For some of you, that's lust for money. For some of you, that's bitterness and anger in your heart. For some of you, it's your children. 
Remember, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Jesus said, if you do not hate your mother and your father, your wife, your children, you cannot be mine. What will it profit you if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Now, he's not saying, get your children out of your life. He's not saying, divorce your husband or your wife. He's saying, put them in their proper perspective. Let them flow out of my heart to you and stop putting them in between you and me, Jesus is saying. And for some of you, you worship your children and not Jesus. Some of you worship your husband or your wife and not Jesus. The Lord is saying, cut off everything that you have placed your comfort in and come to me and let me be the comforter of your heart. Remember, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send a comforter. In other words, Jesus wants to be for you everything. When you begin to cut off those favorite things that comfort your heart, and you turn to Jesus for all comfort, he will flow into your life what he desires you to have. It may be you have to cut off coffee for a period of time, or it may be you have to stop being a glutton. As one brother said to me, he's lost 40 pounds. And he said to me, my gluttony was sin against God. He was comforting himself with food. The Lord said, cut it off. Some of you are comforting yourselves with professional sports. And he's saying, cut it off. Don't take it from me about what you're to cut off. Take it from the Holy Spirit and begin to cut off every source of nurturance in your life other than Jesus Christ. Become indifferent to everything but Jesus. And then Jesus will restore to you those things and those people that he desires to have in your heart. He'll make a new relationship between you and your wife or you and your husband. He'll give you a new relationship if you're a single person, if he so desires you to be married. It all will flow from the heart of Jesus. He's everything to us. Jesus is everything to you, to a Christian, to me, to my heart. Jesus is everything to me. I don't have anything but Jesus. And then he flows into my heart, the National Prayer Chapel. He flowed into my life, this broadcast that I'm doing with you right now. And by the way, I'm so grateful to many of you who who sacrificed your resources so that the radio broadcast could be paid for this month. The money is now in hand, given by you as Jesus prompted you to be able to pay the bill for this month. I praise Jesus for that gift. And I praise Jesus that you were obedient to him 
See, Jesus moves and provides and opens the way for his people and his ministry. So the gold that's being spoken of that we buy, that costs us something, and what it costs us is the cutting off of all worldliness. What it costs is forgiving those who have harmed us. What it costs is is loving the unlovable, having a heart of mercy and compassion. As we cut off the anger and the bitterness and we allow the Holy Spirit to begin to flow into our lives, what he wants as a wonderful friend and brother in Christ, a pastor, Gordon Cosby from Church of the Savior, used to say to me, Ray, the journey up is the journey down. Well, what do you mean? He meant the journey is down into the grave where everything of this world is cut off and we are raised up in newness of life. I asked him once to come and preach at my church, and he did very graciously. And I did not have the maturity to understand what he was preaching about. And frankly, I became quite incensed and angry. I did not want him to preach a message that said, the way up is down. I was concerned at that point in my life about being successful. And he preached an anti-success message. But he was right. The way up is the way down. Or the way down is the way up. As we cut off those things of the world that have nurtured and given us sustenance, we enter into a desert place. And now if Jesus does not feed us, we'll die. And he'll feed us the manna of God. He'll give us water to drink from the rock, Jesus Christ himself. He'll give us a cloud to cover us. He'll give us a pillar of fire to see in the dark of the night when terrifying things can happen. He will be everything for you. Now we come to the next part of the council. And I want you to understand there are three steps that we must take if we're going to enter into the kingdom of God. The first, we have to cut off the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we must be utterly, totally, completely given over to Jesus Christ. We must seek him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul. And if we seek him, the word says we will find him. Now, secondly, he says, I counsel you to buy white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And of course, further in the book of Revelation, Jesus is very clear about what those white clothes represent. These are not my words, so don't call me a legalist. These are the words of Jesus. 
fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. This is Revelation 19, verse 8. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. It does not say fine linen stands for the garments of Jesus that he covers you with. So he doesn't see you, he sees himself. Doesn't say that. That's a lie from the pit of hell. No, it says fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. In other words, Jesus is going to give us righteous actions, righteous deeds that come from the Holy Spirit that he puts into our heart and our life as we cut off the world, the flesh, and the devil by covenant with Jesus, saying, Jesus, I no longer will participate in this darkness. I'm not going to give myself to these movies anymore. I'm not going to give myself to this gluttony anymore. I'm not going to give myself to whatever it is. Jesus, I ask you to please come and circumcise my heart. I make a covenant with you that you have my permission to come and remove this sin from my heart and to bring righteousness into my soul, and he will do it. It is all by faith. It is not by works of the law. It is by works of faith, and Jesus will do that for you. He will change you. He will transform you. He will make you into a new creature. And these white clothes that we wear are the righteous acts that you will do because Jesus has entered into your life And he has given you freely this incredible gift. Now, if you look with me in chapter 22 of the book of Matthew, it says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants, and he said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention. And they went off, one to his field and another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murders and burned their cities. By the way, that's exactly what John Calvin did to the Christians of his day in the Reformed Church. He killed them. He burned one man at the stake for disagreeing with him on what the Trinity was. Calvinism does not have a sweet spirit of Jesus. It's a mixture of truth and lies. And yes, I've read the Institutes. I know what they say. It's a mixture of truth and lies. Verse 8, Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corner and invite to the banquet anyone you find. 
midst of the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. So the good and the bad come to the Lord's banquet feast. But notice verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Well, what are the wedding clothes? The wedding clothes, according to the scripture I just read in the book of Revelation, are the righteous acts of the saints. So those who try to go to the wedding banquet, still walking in their sin, will be found in the wedding banquet to be without the garments of righteousness, and they will be cast out. They will be tied hand and foot and cast out of the church, out of the kingdom of God. He says, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. And if you believe that one day you're going to be in the presence of Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, and you have not left your sin, you will be treated the same way this man was treated. And you will be speechless because you have heard the truth that you must walk in real righteousness. You must be transformed and the world the flesh, and the devil must be totally cut off from your heart. And you must be transformed into a new creature, a new person called being born from above. When you trotted down the aisle and you said, yes, I will accept Jesus as my Savior, you thought you were saved. You were not saved when that happened. Salvation is a process. And when we come to Jesus Christ and we are crucified with him and we die and we are born a new creature, we walk in real righteousness. We don't continue to walk in our sin. So when the king comes to see the guests, he notices a man there not wearing the wedding garments, not wearing white clothes or linen clothes, bright and clean not wearing righteous actions that come not from the law, but from a new source, from the blood of Jesus. The king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, where many are invited, but few are chosen. I'm going to open the phone lines today. Are you dressed in the garments of righteousness? Are you still dressed in the garments of the world and sin? Are you still bound to the drugs of this world? Are you still bound to the television? Are you still bound to the movies? Are you still bound to the pornography? Are you still bound to the drugs? to pride and anger and bitterness? Are you, still, are you still in bondage or have you been set free by the blood of Jesus? Our phone number in studio is 877-534-0780. What is your testimony and 
Would you like, would you like to be prayed for today? What do you quickly call? And just share with, with me and with others. What is your true spiritual condition today? 877-534-0780. And as I wait for your call, let me give you just a little information. I know if I continue teaching, you won't call. So I'm going to stop now and I'm going to give you some information. Again, our number here in studio is 877-534-0780. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia, and I simply want to bear testimony. God is bringing people who have been pagans, unbelievers, Hindus, Buddhists, He's transforming their lives and he's raising them up to be leaders in the body of Christ. People and drugs set free. People filled with pride, humbled before God. The gift of real righteousness is being given to those who care to come and learn and grow. I want to invite you to come to the National Prayer Chapel. We meet every Tuesday evening for a session of prayer, and we meet every Sunday at 12 for prayer, and then at 12.30 we begin with sharing and praise and worship. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. They rent to us. They're a wonderful family congregation. Pastor Dan is from All Saints Anglican Church. They're a a wonderful body of Christ who have paid a huge price in leaving the Episcopal Church. So our phone number, I'm sorry, our address is 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. Two two one nine two. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you'll find all of the information. You'll find videos. You'll find podcasts. And we have a caller. Welcome. What would you like to share? Hey, Pastor. Hi. Um, this is Betty. Hi, Betty. Yes, um, I was calling because of what we have been talking, what we have been talking about, and um, just knowing that in the last, um, I would say maybe the last month or so, I've been dealing with, and that is, um, I think the main issue is, is pride for me, and I have been praying a lot about it, but then I'm, I'm not making much of progress. Um, probably years ago, it wasn't, um, apparent to me as such, but now it is. And some of the progress that I think I have made maybe in the last two years or so is as if I'm going back. So it's not, so definitely it's not something that is good. And I don't want to 
continue in that in this path, but I I feel like I'm you know I've experienced a lot of hurt, um, and then some of it is as if I'm reliving it. So it's it's hard for me to just um, I don't know how to deal with it. I I'm praying and I'm saying that Lord, I forgive this person, but then it comes back. I'm, I'm I I feel it. Or, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm giving it up to you, um, as we've talked um, in the past, you know, and I pray in that manner, and I truly don't want to feel that way anymore, but I, I do, you know, especially um, with my mom. And so I don't know how really to, to deal with it. And, and, I, and I do believe that, you know, ultimately, you know, it's something that has to come from the Lord. But I don't know what steps that I should take and how I should take it because it doesn't seem like um, what I'm doing is working right now or maybe how I'm praying is working. So um, I'm calling me really to request prayer in, in that area for me because I want to be able to walk clean, but I feel like I'm being held back because of, um, of this pride that I have, you know, because, for example, I feel like someone has hurt me. I should not be the one to apologize because I keep thinking, oh, they did wrong. They did me wrong. They did me wrong. How can I not see what people do to me as wrong when I feel like it's wrong? Um, I don't well, know. Well, Betty, you know, yeah. Betty, part of it is facing the truth. And the truth is what they did was wrong. And your hurt is real, not imagined. And the word forgive is a financial term. And it means you have to add up how much of they cost you. It's an accounting term. You add up how much they cost you. And then you ask the question, can they ever pay me back? And obviously, your mom can never pay you back. So then you have to decide if you're going to write that off as a bad debt. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, But even when you say that, oh, I forgive this person, you feel like (laughs) it's coming back because some some things, um, I I think, uh, maybe if you feel like the person is doing the same thing, so uh, what do you... Well, let's let's come back again. I think the issue is really not pride. The issue is really hurt feelings and anger and expectations. Yes. That's not not pride. So how are you going to deal with your expectations? And And I tell you, part of the most painful journey I've had has been with expectations. I expect people to treat me a certain way, and when they don't, it hurts me. Yes. So I've had to take that expectation and say, Jesus, my expectations have to be crucified. They don't owe me anything. I mean, a dead man has no expectations. True. So those have to be laid down, and they come out of hurt. And hurt is a feeling, and feelings just are. They're not right or wrong. You can't jam hurt down and say, I forgave them, so I'm not allowed to feel hurt anymore. 
Yeah. Okay, but but now you have to deal with with those expectations. I see. And every time your expectation is not met, you feel hurt again. Yes, I feel like I'm going back. Even after yes. I would have said, okay, I'm done. You know, that was in the past. I let it go. But then if I feel like it's happening again, and I don't know. My husband said I take things personal with other people at times. Um, but like you said, it's expectation. Because some people, you're thinking this is your mom. Um, and you expect them to do certain things so it would be a certain way. And so when it's not like that, it, it just, I don't know, it bothers me. And I hate for it to bother me because I just want to feel free when I'm, you know, and so I'll be able to pray and just feel like I don't have anything that's bugging me. But that is like, it keeps bugging me. But Betty, expectations will always hold you back. Expectations are bondage. You're looking yeah, to your mother for something that you can only look to Jesus for. Okay. And if Jesus chooses to change your mother's heart, that would be a wonderful gift, but it would be a gift from Jesus. So the expectation has to be laid down. You have to be crucified to that expectation or it'll continue to rise, and you'll continue to be hurt time after time and be angry. Yes, and I have to also confess that because of that, I've acted acted out on her, you know, and I go back and I sit and I said, you know, you you shouldn't act that way to your mom. You shouldn't talk that way to your mom. And I feel bad about this, but I feel like, oh, she's doing this again, you know? But see... See, when when Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? What was his answer? 70 times 70 or so. Yes. Unlimited. Infinite. Unlimited. Yeah. Okay. So the only way you can forgive your mother time after time is to have totally laid down that expectation, to put it on the cross. Okay. So let's pray. Thank you. Lord, this expectation looms large in Betty's heart, and it's holding her back. Yes. Lord, would you cause Betty to make a covenant with you to lay down her expectations of comfort from her mother and set her mother free so that Betty can just love her mother however she is? Lord, would you be the one who comforts Betty's heart? Lord, would you just give her the courage right now to lay down and to die to her expectations so that she can be free? Lord, would you heal her heart now? And Lord, would you cause the hurt in her heart to call her to you? For Jesus, you're the one who comforts. And Lord, if she has expectations for her mom, she probably has expectations for her husband and for her kids and for others. Lord, would you cause her just to lay down all expectations for everyone in her life? Would you just make a clean sweep of her heart and remove all expectations? 
with the absolute certainty that she can trust you, Jesus. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Some of you who are listening today have also grabbed expectations of people. This is what I mean. We have to cut off these sources of nurturance that do not come from Jesus. I pray today the Holy Spirit will help you and will do this in your heart. Tomorrow we're going to continue this study in the book of Revelation. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. We're almost out of time for this broadcast. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, every person listening today needs your presence. Lord, I need you. Would you come and heal the brokenness of our hearts as we cut off those things of the world? Lord, would you come and dwell in us? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I pray the Holy Spirit will be very close to you today as you begin to cut off those last things in your life that need to go. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory